calling it Burn the Ships, because again, we are dramatic. This name, this sermon series is inspired, we don't tend to do this very often, but well, it's inspired by a man by the name of Hernando Cortez. You know who he is? I was hoping you didn't know a lot about him, because his history is not exactly beautiful, but there is a story in which this sermon series is coming out of, and here's what the legendary story is. There was a treasure uh, in 1519, roughly around that time, give or take a few decades, uh, there was a treasure in the Yucatan Peninsula that had been protected by the Aztec Empire for over 600 years, a treasure that people time and time again had tried to get their hands on. Like this is like mint condition, the best of the best, everything you would hope for in the jewels and whatnot, it's all there. And so for over 600 years, many people have tried to get their hands on this treasure, and yet everybody consistently failed. The Aztec army continued to push people away. And yet, after 600 years, Hernando Cortez still has this idea, we should try this. Track record to the side. History of failures, let's just put that to the side. We should go for this all the same. Now, you would think that he's not going to be able to twist anybody's arm to go into this with him, but what he does is he goes into the small towns of Cuba, and he starts smoozing up to guys at different bars, and he's telling them about this grandiose vision of what you could do and who you could be, should you actually get your hands on this treasure. And next thing you know, not five, not 50, but 500 different men are sailing to the Yucatan Peninsula with Hernando Cortez. 11 different ships, all heading to get a treasure that has been guarded for 600 years. When they arrive, they step onto the beach, and in the distance, you can hear an army approaching. You can hear the horses picking up steam. You can hear the war chants crying out. And Cortez looks at his men, and he sees the regret on their face. He sees the anxiety, the angst of the moment that they're in. And with the army approaching ahead of them, it's interesting, because what he does is he doesn't tell them to draw their sword. He doesn't tell them to get on their horse. He tells them to burn the ships. He tells them that the things that brought us to this point, they need to be completely decimated, erased. I don't want to see them. Because we're only going forward from here. Come what may, all the off-ramps are off. The exits have been evicted. Onward we go. In that spirit comes this sermon series. Because we are in a new month, in a new year, as a new church plant. And collectively, we want to ask that question that is such an important question to ask. Are we committed as a crew, as a people, to pursuing what's new or preserving what's now? Are we committed to where God is calling us next, or are we only going to white-knuckle the things that God has brought us into in hopes that we don't lose anything? Are we going to be one foot in, willing to back out at any minute, or are we going to go all the way? What would it look like for us to burn the ships and to go all in. There's a text I want to look at with you guys tonight. It's from Isaiah 43. And um, this text is, is written to a people who, um, well, they've lost it all. They are in a place where they have had their, their world completely flipped upside down. They are in what we would know as exile. They're in Babylonian captivity. Their homes have been destroyed. Their temple burnt down. Nothing has gone their way. Stability is no more. And so they are in this dark and heavy uh, place. And God uses the prophet Isaiah to speak through him 
to bring a word of warmth. The first words he says is, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. Please don't miss how beautiful those words are. Because to a people who have felt consistently again and again and have been reminded by their daily realities that they have lost everything, it is a very powerful thing when somebody comes up to you and says, I'm still yours. Uh, You still have me. To a people who have been trampled on, bullied and beat up by a foreign empire and emperor, it is a very powerful thing to hear that your king has come and that your king is here. So God, to these people who have been left out in winter for a long time now, he starts to warm them up. And then he escorts them in a beautiful way down memory lane by singing them a song. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. Does anybody want to take a stab at singing this as a solo version right now? Sally? How would you take one for the church and do that for us? He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and then lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. The form of this text is lyrical. It's got a rhythm to it. It's a song. Two people have been buried in self-doubt, Uncertain about what lies ahead, they are, they are like Cortez's men getting off that boat, not sure if it's going to get any better. In comes God, not as a burning bush, not as a speech, not setting down new commandments. He steps in to sing them a song. Because a song is all about timing. And by that, I don't mean tempo. A couple, uh, last week, my wife and I, we were going to a wedding in um, it's crazy, I know, but we listened to music and Ruth. And on this way, we decided, let's play some of the childhood hits. And it's amazing. I don't know if you guys have like pulled out the old catalog of old songs, but you get about four seconds into some of these old songs, and you can remember exactly where you were, who you were with, and what you felt in that moment. I'll give you some examples. To all of my other children of the 90s, consider this a belated Christmas gift. Who spent some time with Dr. Dre in their youth? I can literally tell you, when we started playing this song the other night, I remember sitting at my kitchen table, headphones on, playing this music. I better turn it quick. Hold on. Let me. That's enough out of you, sir. Okay. Yeah, we all got nervous there, okay? I vividly remember, though. I told Lauren this when we were in the car. I remember. I remember sitting at my kitchen table, headphones on, listening to Dr. Dre, and when my parents would walk by, I would start singing, I'll lead you home, like Michael W. Smith, throw him off my trail. You know what I'm saying? It was brilliant. I beat the system every time. There was this... Anyways, I remember, though, exactly where I was, and I remember that feeling. Next song that came to mind for me was this one right here. I'll tell you this, basement, parents' house, first time I bought a guitar. The reason behind buying a guitar was this lick right here. I wanted to do what Johnny was able to do. I wanted, that's all I care about. That's the only extent of my reason. I remember those sitting in the basement in my bedroom, feeling that, like so excited about, like, last song. This is a big one. Please work. 
right? Don't listen to what he says. It's going to make you feel funny things. But stay with me, okay? I can tell you, when I heard this song the other day, and Lauren and I were playing it, I said, Dan Moret's house. It was a Thursday afternoon, not kidding you, after school. I was about to call Kaylee Bearden on the phone. Had her number in my hand, was about to punch it in and dial her up. Dan says, before you do that, you need to listen to this song, ma'am. And so I did. I sat and we listened to the song. And I think before every phone call that I ever made to any girl, I did that exact same thing. I went and I listened to that song. The reason behind it is that the song will make you remember some things. The song will take you to a place and make you feel some things. The song can bring you back in time. It is about timing, and I'm not talking about the tempo. A song can inspire you, make you believe in some things. And so in the same way that Ursher was bringing me in to believe that I was a smooth operator and I could do whatever I needed to get done, the same thing God perhaps is doing with the people here through song. He was taking them back in time, reminding them of their story. He sings to them about the Exodus, which is their core story. He sings to them about you were slaves in Egypt for 400 years until one day when I stepped in and I set you free. I split the sea. I walked you across. We made a better story from there on out. I made a way where there was no way before. I did that. God sings them this song, this core story. Because you've got to remember that for them, the Exodus was not a metaphorical, philosophical. It wasn't like this picturesque idea of like what, you know, what God's intervention would hypothetically be like. They have memories of their great-grandparents talking about what it felt like to feel the ground of the ocean floor as they walked across. They have memories of what it was like that moment when Moses said, we're going to go across. This, wasn't, this was actual real life for them. So when God sings this song in the midst of their sadness, I would imagine that one by one they start to stand up because it is their core story that they are hearing. It is their collective thing that binds them together of that moment when God stepped in and he changed the direction of where they were going. And they felt it. It was their core story. Now for us, that might not be something that gets us on our feet, but I would imagine that you have had an encounter with God. You know, or maybe you went to even call God God. An encounter with that being that transcends the five senses that we tend to operate in and inside of. You've had that encounter that has changed your story from where you are to where you've gone. You've had an encounter with God that has made you believe, feel, experience something new. An interruption into your story that ended up playing out like an invitation. Do you remember what your core story with God was like? That moment. If God were to sing that song about that marriage that you didn't think was going to survive, and yet you're here tonight still. If God were going to sing to you that song about those babies that you didn't think you could have, and yet your daughter just turned 10. Or if God was going to sing to you a song about the addictions that you didn't think you could shake, and yet you can't even remember that life anymore. It's a really interesting moment in the midst of exile, in the midst of utter despair. God plays this music, and it's like the original jock jam. I mean, it's pumping people up. They're vibing. They get it. They're on their feet. They're dancing. They're jumping around, which is why it is super confusing when we read what the next line says. Because out of nowhere, after God sings this song to them, 
tells him to turn the music off. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. It's an interesting text. I've heard this sermon uh, thousands of times now about how you know, because our conscience, we don't have a digestive tract, and so what goes down is going to come up. And so if you bring bad baggage and you leave it inside of you without actually doing the proper work of getting rid of it, that's a problem. You need to get past your past. I've heard that sermon. You've heard that sermon. How do we leave our past behind? How do we get over the past mistakes, the dumb things we've done, the things that we've left undone? How do we do those things? That's not what God's saying here, though. God's not saying to forget about all your mistakes. God's saying to forget about the miracle. God's not saying to forget about what you did to her. God's saying forget about what I've done for you. Do not dwell on how good it was right there. Because here's what I will tell you about going back with Dr. Dre and Ursha. Because every time you go back to those moments... Every time you leave the ships unburned, every time you keep these things, even if they were good, and you start staring at them, you can't be here. You cannot celebrate consistently what God has done and expect still to see what God is doing. Which is why God almost sounds surprised when he says here, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you guys see it? I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? How could you miss it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This language here in the Hebrew for streams, it's not implying like the mighty Mississippi. It's more so implying like a small puddle. Like I'm bursting forth in a very small way, and you guys are not picking up on it right now. Is it possible that when we consider our future and we consider what God is calling us into collectively and individually, what God is doing in the midst to pull us forward into whatever it is next, is it possible that the biggest barrier between where we are right now and where we need to go next is not that list of what everybody has done to you, but perhaps one or two things that God has done for you? Is it possible that just like in football, it's the same thing for our future, that excessive celebration can cost you something? When you hold on to something so long, it can expire. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? This text has been sitting on me all week. When I thought about this sermon series and I thought about collectively us and, and where we are and where we're headed and, um, you know, I, I don't know if I fully understand all that it's saying still. I really don't. But I had a moment the other day where some of it clicked for me. Because in the midst of trying to plant this church and start this new venture and pursue what God is doing amongst us, I could tell you right now, we have collected fistfuls of core stories that would, I could talk to you all night and all day until Super Bowl comes about God's faithfulness, about God, how, how he's provided for us how he has made a way where there is no way. In fact, I was talking about it last week with somebody on the board who was talking about our finances, and I was remembering this moment I had last year when there was a leader 
who came up to me and was kind of sizing up our reality when we were at CPC. And they said, listen to me, Matt. Um, love your passion. Love your heart. I think this is a really like, fun. It's, it's, a, it's a good idea. This is not an ill-intended thing. He's genuinely saying this. And he goes, he, here's the problem when I look at the numbers. Is your community, it's going to take about you know, 14 to 15, give or take a few thousand dollars a month to make the budget work. Right now, you guys collectively, we are all giving about eight to nine thousand dollars to make the budget work. He goes, You see the gap there, right? To only complica complicate things further, once you guys leave, not everybody's going to go with you. And so that eight to nine that you guys are having to support this community that you all claim to love, like it's, it's going to take you an even further hit. We are four months into this venture, and right now we are at $12,000 plus giving a month that we are all leaning in in supporting this venture. Four months in, the waters are already starting to part. There are stories like that that are going on and on, and we are consistently seeing it, but how we see it determines what we will see of God next. How we choose to celebrate the good gifts of God and how we choose to hold what God has done will determine what we get to hold of God's doing right now. And so we ask the question, he says, I'm doing a new thing, do you not perceive it? We have our core stories, and here's where the dots clicked for me, why God would sing us a song about remembering, would bring us to a former place, and then tell us immediately to drop it, to forget it. I had this moment the other day where, um, speaking of, when we left CPC, when we left CPC four months ago, well, a little bit longer now, I guess, but we left some good people behind. Like, we were leaving an amazing situation. We were leaving an amazing community. We had a beautiful thing in a lot of different ways. And for thousands of different reasons, both known and unknown, like some people have chosen not to come with us. And, I, and we get it, right? We bless that. We understand that. But that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt every now and then. Like, it doesn't mean it's not hard. Like, you don't end up, like, missing certain people. Like, when we gather on these nights, when we come together on Sunday nights and we are singing these songs together, when Christian is leading, my mind can sometimes go back to how it was and I can think about the people who should be here that are missing right now. And as I was driving the other day, and I was thinking about this text, and I was thinking about those people, I had this moment where I was pulling into the parking lot and I just felt like, and you all know me, where you know I don't say these things very often, but I felt like I heard God speaking, not audibly, but in the midst of trying to name these faces in my head of who I wish were still walking forward with us, I felt like my head was lifted to look at the houses across the street and God saying, what about them? I'm, I'm doing a new thing. Like this community, what I am creating, what I am cultivating, what I am pursuing in South Minneapolis, it is not a relocation or a renaming of an old thing. God says we are doing a new thing. We are, we are called to be a people that is not just doing church as we have seen, but doing church as we sense the Spirit is leading. Which isn't going to be everybody's cup of tea. It's not going to be everybody's favorite thing. And in these angsty moments where you start to get provoked and the anxiety start building, not knowing what's coming next, the tendency is to be, how do we go back to what was? 
How do we try to, is there a copy and pasteable model from what we've experienced that we can put into play? And God says, no, there's a stream bursting forth that is much different than the splitting of a sea. And do you have the courage to actually believe that? How will we see the world unfolding in front of us? When we hear God speaking to us, when we feel God pulling us into new things, will we have the courage to follow, to be faithful, even if it isn't familiar? When God says, forget the form of things, what I think God is saying is, forget the form of those things. Remember the maker, but not the method. Remember the Savior, the source, but you got to let go of that system. Because what I did before is not what I'm doing right now, and if you stay back there, you cannot join me up here. Let me pray. God, you are faithful. God, you are good. God, you are constantly doing new things. And for that, we rejoice, Lord. We, are, um, we celebrate the streams in the wilderness. And Lord, collectively, we try to relinquish our need for it to be like the splitting of the sea. God, we know that your church always looks best when she is an exodus when she is a movement, when she is vibrant and not stale. God's call us to not be afraid of new things to the changes, Lord. We are grateful. And all God's children we say together, amen. This is an interesting talk and passage to kind of hold together because there is something beautiful in looking back and remembering but to Matt's point we're never called to stay there to dwell in it but I think one of the beautiful things about remembering is looking back and seeing God's faithfulness remembering the creator and the maker and it's in seeing that faithfulness that sometimes gives us the courage to step forward into uncertainty, to step forward into those places that we're called. And I think that's what this community has done this last year. There's been this deep sense that God's doing something new, something probably beyond what any of us could ever hope or imagine. But we trust it because we remember a God who loves us. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to experience and do together. And on Sunday nights, we remember just that when we gather for communion. We remember this God who calls us into places that are sort of scary and uncertain. But we remember a God who loves us and has so much for us and is always calling us into new things, kingdom things. And in the night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his disciples, and I'm sure they didn't quite know what was next. And he broke bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup, and he poured wine into it, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. The new covenant 
When you drink from this cup, remember me. And so that's what we do. When we take the bread and we dip it into the cup, we remember this God that is doing new things, amazing things. And we get to be a part of that. So during the music, we invite you to come forward. There'll be gluten-free elements right here in the center, and there'll be people on these sides as well. And you can take the bread and dip it into the cup. And the beauty of doing it is we're together, and we're stepping forward into something together. And we are remembering a God that has been faithful. So together, um, please stand, and we'll pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.